Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. Welcome to the first of four podcasts in Grow for International Expansion on the subject of free trade agreements. I'm Oliver Dowson and I'm going to be your guide through uh, this maze of information about a subject that keeps on cropping up, um, certainly in uh, the UK where the prospect of new free trade agreements is one of the key drivers behind Brexit, and in the USA where President Trump uh, is seeming to want to get out of many of the free trade agreements that have already been negotiated. To enable you to make up your own mind, and so here we're not trying to make political capital or take sides on this, we're going to look at the um, aspects and try and understand what free trade agreements mean, um, how they're negotiated, what the results are, what restrictions occur, how good they are, how bad they might be, and enable you to get a more detailed and clearer understanding of the advantages, disadvantages and the realities in general of free trade agreements. We're only going to be talking about free trade agreements for goods. The situation for services is almost entirely different. So we're going to be discussing that in a separate podcast and article. Um, It's interesting talking about services because although they're a minor aspect of a few agreements between countries, there's actually never been a free trade agreement solely about services. And since services represents 80% of the UK economy and about two-thirds of the US economy, uh, it's clearly very significant and very important to understand that it's a completely different aspect for reasons you'll discover when we do talk about it. So back to the current topic and the main topic, which is what politicians are talking about when they talk about trade deals, really mean only those that relate to goods. So that's manufacturing and agriculture, things you can actually touch, tangible goods. Free trade agreements, like they sound, are basically treaties between two or more countries that eliminate tariffs. So technically the full name should be trade agreements because sometimes they just modify the tariffs. And you effectively got an agreement dictating tariffs, taxes, duties that are imposed on imports and exports trying to create a level playing field for all the countries who sign up to a free trade agreement and also normalise the regulations that are applied to quality, safety and other relevant matters. The reasoning behind all of this is that by eliminating duties makes both ports and exports cheaper, um, then that increases economic activity and helps business growth 
and jobs and living standards. So while they can significantly benefit some sectors of the economy, they equally can disadvantage some others. The advantages and disadvantages are different for each pair of countries. Um, They become more emphasised where one country is notably less developed than the other. So, for example, a trade agreement between a Western country and an emerging country, um, you're going to see stronger advantages and disadvantages. But before we get into those... Um, let's consider the three different kinds of trade agreement. Except that the first kind, which is unilateral, isn't really a trade agreement. It's more a sort of trade imposition. It's basically where one country um, sets its own restrictions. There's no negotiation, no agreement. It basically just imposes something. Um, It's technically a kind of trade agreement, but in practice it's just one country usually restricting imports very occasionally making them easier. Um, In fact, the only time it's ever made easier is a sort of foreign aid, which actually helps uh, another emerging country grow its own domestic industry or agriculture. And that only happens where that's no threat to the host country's own economy. More often, it's a country imposing tariffs. So you could actually say that uh, Trump putting a 25% tariff on Chinese imports is a unilateral trade agreement, except nobody agreed to it. Getting into the normal meaning of trade agreements, and specifically free trade agreements, we have really then two kinds. Bilateral is between two countries. So both of those then agree to reduce or remove tariffs or simplify regulations or both in order to grow the trade between them. So it makes life simpler, it increases trade, it's pretty obvious, it ought to be a no-brainer, but they're very problematic to negotiate because there's always one or more sectors of each country's economy that could be threatened, perhaps because it's subsidised or just that it's very fragile and has many jobs relying on it. But there's always some sector that the one country doesn't want to open up to the other. And you'll understand that better when we actually get to the advantages and disadvantages in just a moment. There's also multilateral trade agreements, and those are between three or more countries. So if you think the bilaterals are hard to negotiate, just imagine how complex a multilateral deal is. Even if a country has its own priorities concern, other countries have different ones. So every country has a seat at the table. They all have different um, concerns and it takes many years to arrive at an agreement. But when it can be overcome, the resulting trade deal ends up being very powerful and gives great advantages to the participating countries. The best examples, perhaps, are the North American Free Trade Agreement, known as NAFTA, and the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, Um, which, of course, are the ones that President Trump wants out of, where he thinks that the original negotiators from the USA side gave away too much. So let's look at the advantages of free trade agreements. 
First and most obvious is that it can lead to economic growth by eliminating duties then both imports and exports should increase. So if your product or uh, your um, agricultural product is cheaper, then you're going to sell more of it to consumers in the other country. And it's supposed to work both ways. So by eliminating tariffs and making it equal, you get more trade in total, specifically between those two countries. You might very well say that uh, uh, there's a limited appetite for any one product. So you have a free trade agreement in motor cars. Well, um, there's only a market for so many motor cars in any one country. On the other hand, uh, what you could actually say is that where a free trade agreement exists, the cost of cars being imported from country A then become cheaper than those coming from country B. So it skews the sales in the direction of the countries that have the free trade agreement between themselves. It also makes business more competitive. By eliminating protectionism, companies are forced to become more competitive. Removing protectionism is an important part of a trade deal because even if it's not heralded as a principal component, it's always there. And many countries subsidise parts of their industry or their agriculture in one way or another. So agriculture in particular is subsidised if we look at both the US and the UK, or European Union rather, um, then there's substantial farm subsidies, but there's also um, protective tariffs to ensure that uh, farmers can make um, a good living and a good profit. And the farm lobby, as everybody knows, is always a very strong one in every country. Similar sorts of things occur to extractive industries. It used to be coal, nowadays oil and gas, mining of every kind, um, to make that more attractive and sometimes that work is subsidised because it gives a lot of jobs. And so there's an attraction to government in making that business more economically viable by giving it a subsidy of some kind. Maybe not an obvious subsidy, but maybe a tax break, maybe a reduction in component costs, maybe... Uh, support for pension schemes for the workers, um, anything like that. And when it comes to negotiating a trade deal, country A will probably not like any of those protective measures being applied by country B, so they insist that they're removed. But quid pro quo, then country A has to remove or reduce the protective measures that it has on its own business. Now, if you're looking at this purely from a capitalist business perspective, this is great news because business is more competitive and more honest if you get rid of protectionism. But it's a difficult hurdle to cross when you're negotiating a trade deal. Then there's also the advantage of reduced government spending because the governments save money. They don't have to subsidise things anymore. And so... That gives them tax revenues that they can spend on something else or potentially that they could reduce taxes. 
and so they're effectively taking the money away from one and they've got more to spend elsewhere. You can also look for increased foreign direct investment, which is often an advantage. So businesses and investors from one country will use the countries that are parties to the free trade agreement as a great springboard to trade with others. If you look at the number of American and Japanese companies that have set up in the UK because it has essentially a free trade agreement with the European Union, other countries of the European Union, one of the main reasons for moving there is that, or moving to the UK, is that it makes it economically more viable. Um, using, because it's got a free trade agreement, it's much more economic to manufacture uh, or prepare a product there and to sell to the other countries than it is to actually ship it in from a first country. So in that way, for example, a Japanese company takes advantage of a free trade agreement between um, the UK and the remaining countries of the European Union, which already exists as it's just a European agreement, um, to say, okay, let's make in one country and go to the others. It's far more cost-effective than manufacturing and transporting from Japan or from another country. The final big advantage is typically in expertise and technology transfer. So companies in one country are benefiting from the skills and knowledge shared by the other. That works really in sort of two ways. One is that a component of many uh, free trade agreements is that the richer country, I'm assuming here we're talking primarily about differences between developed and emerging economies, the developed country will say will be uh, required to agree to actually take some of its know-how to the developing country. It's an advantage because it helps the developing country's economy expand, it helps it um, develop further, it helps it uh, get more advanced and so it gets more knowledge sooner. The other way of looking at it is that many countries require as part of a trade agreement to make it easier for their nationals to move between countries. So you see a situation for example that India in order to have a trade deal with the EU or with the UK wants to have freedom to actually take people, uh, remove the visa restrictions so that people can move and work in that country. Those are all the advantages. This leads into the disadvantages, but before we get to the disadvantages, let's pick one that's got both its good and bad sides to it. And that one is usually put forward as an advantage is the offshoring of jobs. And it's a variation on what we just talked about just now. So because imports and exports can also include the products that are manufactured by foreign subsidiaries of local firms, then that means that multinationals can take advantage of being able to manufacture in another country and bring things tax-free into um, its original country. And that's most obvious in the car industry. At the moment, there's lots of news um, about the Mexican border with the US. But you could actually take the same um, application within Europe as well. And by 
creating the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, all those years ago, and making it um, removing the tariff barriers between Mexico and the United States. It made it much cheaper for car manufacturers to build cars or make components for cars in Mexico. In many cases, for example, it's just components. So a company will make the parts that go into the cars, the gearboxes, the windscreen wipers, whatever it may be, in Mexico, and ship them into the US in order to make a finished product. It might work the other way around. But, so it's not just necessarily the whole product being transferred. What's happening here is that the company is taking advantage of lower labor costs, lower land costs in the other country and saying, OK, fine, now we have a free trade agreement with this other country. Then let's actually move some of the work that we currently do in our own country and do it in the other country instead and then import the product that they produce. It's good from the perspective of reducing costs overall and improving the economy of the um, receiving country, the uh, lower cost country. On the other hand, it tends to take jobs away from the richer country. Um, and so that's obviously viewed very negatively by unions um, and can actually significantly impact um, smaller industries in the supply chain in particular, where it now becomes more economic to import products that are currently manufactured in the home country. So we keep coming back to that one because it's going to be a feature of many of the agreements that we'll actually explore in a later episode in this series. But before we uh, finish on the this topic, let's cover the risks and disadvantages of trade deals because um, it's not all good news, of course. Introducing a free trade deal removes duties, taxes, and so guess what? The countries get less tax revenues. So they're then dependent upon the economic growth that results from the free trade agreement actually overcompensating for the loss of tariff revenues. If it doesn't do that, the government's going to have to find its money from somewhere else or cut spending. So that can be a significant issue to some countries and to some um, types of arrangement. Another risk is the reduction in quality standards because it's not just about taxes and duties, it's also about the regulations that attach to the product. So if we're talking about physical manufactured products or agricultural goods, all of those have quality standards and those tend to vary from region or country to country. If you're going to have a free trade agreement, you must by definition have matching uh, regulations in the two countries. So if you're going to have safety rules and you have to have uh, cables wired a certain way, then that has to be done for product from both countries. But where all the news is at the moment about regulations tends to be with food, agriculture, and in particular where there's talk of a future UK-US trade deal um, that the US would love to have um, a significant deal. So would the UK, Brexit goes ahead. But 
You might think, why doesn't the EU already have a trade deal with the US? Well, that's because of a hold back on regulations. That's where you hear about chlorinated chicken or um, uh, hormonal fed beef and, um, and or genetically modified crops. So these are all um, quality standard issues that will certainly buy trying to standardise between two countries inevitably means a reduction in standard in one of those countries because it's very unusual to increase the standard in the second country to match the first. Risk three is the theft of intellectual property. The advantage is the technology transfer between the countries because it helps economies to grow the risk is the theft of intellectual property. Many countries don't have the same types of uh, patents and trademark protection as developed countries, uh, or even if they have them on paper, they're not the sort of um, uh, issue that one wants to pursue through courts. And so there's... Uh, a significant risk, particularly for high-tech companies there. Next is the risk imposed by category killers. A category killer is where one big player can actually dwarf all the others and basically eat all the little fish in the pool. And so if you have one country that has um, very successful small businesses doing a certain type of product or good or service and a free trade agreement allows another country's um, services to come in and from that country they've got some really big player uh, very well funded um, very established product in its own country that can now come in and flood the market with much cheaper product then that could actually kill off um, a lot of the small local industry um, within the receiving country. Again, every disadvantage is related to something else that's an advantage. So, for example, the offshoring of work. Offshoring of work is great from the perspective that it reduces costs, it um, creates employment for uh, people in the lower cost country um, it's beneficial in those ways on the other hand it risks labor exploitation so if jobs are transferred to another country uh, because they're cheaper and the employment protection rules are not as good as the other countries um, then it's not just a matter of lower salaries it's also a matter of people being exploited and essentially a type of slave labor um, and significant risk in doing that um, because especially where big multinationals can apply pressure on supply chain in the other country to keep costs as low as possible finally but not least in terms of risks and disadvantages, we have environmental issues. Um, top, top of the agenda for many people at the moment, and definitely a concern for us all. And apart from um, the fact that the uh, other country 
may do use create more pollution by using more polluting energy sources for its manufacturing. For example, if you send um, work to another country or start importing from a country that's got primarily coal-fired electricity generation, taking it away from another country where it's all done by renewables, then you're effectively uh, increasing global pollution. It's also a risk of things like deforestation uh, or um, plundering of natural resources. So you've got um, mining issues, uh, forestry issues, many other similar sorts of concerns um, and also a transport cost because you're now creating more uh, trade physically moving between two countries and if that transport is big or bulky or heavy and uh, the distance is great uh, then you have possibly the most polluting means of transport going which is ocean uh, ocean liners well ocean um, ocean goods carriers um, or aviation so again more pollution um, and more environmental impact anyway these disadvantages sound terrible but generally the governments of the world almost always agree that advantages outweigh the disadvantages are they always right well as mentioned before Trump is pulling out of some of the deals that previous US governments spent years and years pursuing. There's a body of opinion in the UK, um, a small one but a noisy one, that believes that walking away from the many trade deals that the EU have negotiated over the years that Britain currently benefits from would be uh, it's better instead to rely on World Trade Organization terms even if that's only a stopgap until a better trade deal just between the UK and a third country can be negotiated. Well, we're not trying to get into politics. We're trying to take a studied and pragmatic view of free trade agreements. So I don't want to come down on one side or the other now. Um, in a future episode, we're going to make a detailed review of the benefits and downsides that come from some of the established trade deals both bilateral ones and multilateral ones. But before we get there, there's still plenty of detail we need to understand. In the next episode, we're going to talk about why free trade agreements are so difficult to negotiate and cover things like most favoured nation clauses, which have a real impact upon trade agreements, both existing and future. Uh, we're going to look at the general agreement on tariffs and trade, often known as GATT, and that's actually managed by the World Trade Organization, and the general agreement on trade and services, or GATS, that affects the services industry. We're going to talk about what wets and creates the appetite in governments to pursue free trade deals, um, talk about how with many countries clamoring to have trade deals with another who's going to get priority in the queue what the role of lobbyists is and following on from that why free trade agreements tend to favor big business and multinationals but the risks and opportunities for smaller companies and for the population as a whole 
Then in episode three, we're going to go through those lessons to be learned from existing trade deals, as I talked about before. And in episode four, um, wrapping up the series, we're going to talk about the uh, services agreements, the UK and free trade agreements, and the opportunities and risks going forward so that you can try to draw a judgment for yourself and understand the whole world of free trade agreements better. In order to understand it better as well, you can actually read up this uh, podcast, uh, the article associated with it, um, with diagrams uh, to give some additional information uh, that you'll find on our growinternational.org website. Please do log in there um, and check it out and let me know Uh, by commenting or by emailing directly how we can help you better understand free trade agreements, trade in general, and international business. International growth is, in our opinion, great, great opportunities for international expansion for businesses. And free trade agreements are a really key factor that one has to understand. Do they deliver all that's promised? Well, not necessarily. Do people even understand what they promise? A lot of the time, not. Let's try and clarify the picture. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think.